Welcome to the North Texas District Leadership Podcast. This is a resource from and for those of us serving Jesus with the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God. I am here today with a new friend, Pastor Bob Moya. Bob and his bride, Candace, lead City Chapel with campuses in Grand Prairie and Arlington. Pastor Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Man, I met you in Starbucks. We met accidentally at Starbucks in Midlothian recently. You were talking to a mutual acquaintance of ours, a TJ Garza from Crossroads of Life there in a Duncanville, Cedar Hill, right on the line, right? right. And so uh, he's such a good man. And whenever TJ had to go, you and I sat there and ended up talking for maybe an hour or so. <laughs> great coffee and great conversation. I learned something about you talking a little bit that day. One was that you have a story that I think pastors need to hear. And then secondly, you opened up just a little bit in that initial conversation where I was able to see, okay, this is a pastor who has some fresh fire and has found a bit of a second wind Mm. in ministry. Yes. And I think if we're going to be in this for the long haul, we need a second wind sometimes, don't we? Oh, man, absolutely. 100%. And I, you know, God has just done that in our lives recently. And, uh, just been incredible and still unfolding. Yeah. Well, let's start with this. Um, This is a a big question, but give us a sketch of how I I was told, I was telling Pastor uh, Greg Headley, our secretary treasurer here, I said, I'm going to be, I'm going to try to get Bob Moya to come on the podcast soon. And I said, I met him at Starbucks and he has a really good story. And Pastor Greg said, well, you could do several episodes with Bob, one of them just on how he got saved. Wow. And so uh, give us a, a little bit of a sketch of how you came to the Lord and came to know you were called to ministry. Sure. Well, I wasn't raised in church. I grew up in Dallas in the Oak Cliff area. And, um, you know, just a, a, a typical family in in the area that was just lost, man. We didn't have a church background, didn't know anything about the Lord. And then one day, a visitor walked down my street in Oak Cliff, and I was just on the street corner with a friend of mine, and I think it was a, he was a pastor out on visitation, actually. And he just stopped uh, with me and my buddy and began to talk to us and just started sharing the gospel. And the moment he started sharing the gospel, I just knew instantly that I that I wanted to be saved. I wanted what he was talking about. Wow. I had never heard about that before. I'd never heard about the cross or the love of Christ, and it just hit me like a lightning bolt. And uh, I just got on my knees right there in the street. And, uh, really? I did. And, and he led me in the, what he called the sinner's prayer. And I gave my heart to Christ, and I just wept right there in the street in front of my friend. My friend actually uh, just turned around and rejected it and left. But uh, something mm-hmm. happened to me on that day that was life-changing. He came back the next day to bring me a Bible, and when he did, my father met him at the, at the front door of our house, and he, uh, w- within 15 minutes, my father was on his knees, giving his heart to Christ along with my mother. And uh, that, that transformed wow. our whole life. We went from darkness to light in, in an instant, in one day. And so I just became uh, just so transformed, so in love with Jesus. And I just remember going out into the streets and in my neighborhood with the, the little red King James Bible he gave me. And I just was sharing the scriptures he shared with me, trying to just win people to Christ. Wow. And so that's, you know, really when I began to feel like something was different in my life. I didn't know anything about the ministry. I didn't know, you know, this whole concept of being called to the ministry. But I knew something was different about my my walk with God. And people were calling me Preacher Bob and Holy Bob at school. And I'd carry my Bible to school. And I just became known as sort of the, the preacher guy. Yeah, And so that's sort of how it began. But then I went off into the military after high school, and I felt like 
uh, I, I really didn't know how to enter into the ministry, so things began to change after that. But when I came back from the military, uh, that's when things opened up for me and, and began in, in, in my first ministry position. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that. Uh, what places and roles have you ministered in over the years? Yeah, so I, when I came home, uh, the first youth group I went to before I went into the military was uh, a youth group at Stevens Park Assembly of God in, in Oak Cliff. And uh, John Miller was in the youth ministry there, and his father had actually been the pastor there. So when I came back from the military and he knew I was home, he, had, he and I had become really great friends in the earlier days, and he called me and he said, man, I just became the pastor of a new church. I want you to come with me. Let's go visit it and hang around and drive out there. So when we went out there, saw the church in Haltom City, Fort Worth, and it called the Lighthouse. And he said, man, I want you to come. I want you to come and help me. And I was 21 years old, out of the military, didn't know where I was going to go, what I was going to do. Felt like I had a call of God, but again, didn't know how to pursue it. And he said, you know, there's an evangelist quarters, you know, it was one of the old churches with an evangelist quarters in the back. He said, man, you can live back here and all the tea you can drink, Bob. I can't pay you anything, but your reward's in heaven, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And uh, I moved in that little spot and started doing bus ministry. And man, it was just like putting a fish in water. You know, I was out back on the streets. Uh, went from one van to two or three buses, picking up kids all over Halton City, bringing them to church, winning people to Christ on their front porch, and I uh, just felt that fire come back. And then uh, later on, became went to Southwestern, met my wife Candace there at Sagu. She was a member of Evangel Temple in Grand Prairie, and they needed a youth guy, so they asked me to come, and I and I went from John Miller's Church to Evangel Temple in Grand Prairie, and I served as the youth pastor there for five years. And I didn't think that I really wanted to do youth ministry because I love children's work. I love bus routes. Uh, But, man, my youth ministry just began to grow. And I just began Mm -hmm. to, once again, be out on the streets, winning kids to Christ, building a a ministry. And God, God just blessed me in that, and it was incredible. And then we left from Evangel Temple after a two-year, you know, time off and went on to Plant City Chapel. Yeah, so City Chapel, how, how many years have you been there in total now? 18 years. Okay, 18 years. Yeah. So tell us how, how that burden came about. And I understand, I think that you guys kind of started like on a boom. Things kind of took off. Tell us what that was like. Exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting because the story of City Chapel and the vision of City Chapel really became clearer to me because I wasn't raised in church. So the having a vision for a church, when we finally realized that God was calling us to plant a church and be pastors, for me, the vision was clear because what I really wanted, all I really wanted was for our, to, to, for our church to be the kind of church that saw God do what God did in my family. Right. You know, I just wanted to see souls being won and, and people being transformed and, and, and lives being changed just like God did in, in my mother and father and in my life. And by that time, you know, I had several aunts and uncles and cousins and a lot of my family members coming to Christ. So it was just really a revival in my family. And I just said, God, if, if you want us to pastor a church, I want to have that kind of a church. Wow. I want to go into the cities and see families that are just like mine be be totally and radically changed for the glory of God. And so for the first, I'd say, seven or eight years, you know, it, we that's what we saw. I mean, just we, we, we began praying for revival, praying for souls. We bought three buses, and we bought a sidewalk Sunday school trailer, Yogi Bear side, sidewalk Sunday school trailer like they have in New York, uh, Metro Ministry. And, man, we just hit the streets. 
I mean, we found the parks in our area. We found uh, places where we could set up our sites, and we just began to preach the gospel. And I'll tell you, for the, about the first seven years, we just grew. I mean, the church just grew. God was just blessing, pouring out his spirit. It just, you know, this combination of prayer and soul winning, it, it's, it's a combination that God loves. Yeah. You know, when yes. you pray, like, you know, for revival and for anointing and for power, and then you go out into the neighborhood and bring God loves lost people. The Holy Spirit is always present when lost people are around. And so the anointing was so powerful. And then because we were doing those two things, God just began to pour in resources. God began to bring people that had resources and money and means and, you know, people that were, wanted a mission. They just didn't want to just sit in the church. And so for me, it was, it was awesome and it was exciting and it was incredible. But in one sense, it was, you know, it was normal because that's what my experience with God was. I, I didn't grow up in church. You know, I didn't know what you know, church really was supposed to be all about. Yeah. I just knew what God had done in my life, and that's what I was focused on. And so, yeah, we experienced uh, tremendous growth during those those early years. With things booming, of course, we're heading toward the story of, of Second Wind. So mm-hmm. uh, the Second Wind was needed because the wind had died out. And so when things began to plateau, uh, what began to happen in you? You know, that's interesting because uh, I never thought it would happen to me. You know, I I can remember during those early days feeling the fire and the passion and the growth. And And fire seems to be a good description of your life and how you came to (laughs) it, because these are dramatic occurrences. Yeah, and um, I remember sitting in Starbucks with with buddies that were in pastoring churches that were struggling and in decline or, you know, having some problems. And I just thought, man, I just can't relate to that. I just feel like, you know, God is moving. But then all of a sudden, in 2008, things changed for us. And the way it started initially was, first of all, we had two significant deaths in our church. Two ladies that were prominent leaders in our church both died suddenly. Mm-hmm. One died from fast-moving cancer, and another one uh, caught pneumonia and died tra- uh, suddenly, unexpectedly. And these were two ladies that were great leaders in the church, very influential, and they were very close to me and my wife, and it was just it, it really devastated the whole church. It was just... Uh, just created sort of a mood of sadness over the church and, and, and being brokenhearted. And then there was a prominent leader in our church who, who created division and had a doctrinal challenge with me. And he was one of our small group leaders, and he was a board member. And he managed to, to really pull away some of our strongest families. That also happened in 2008. And then alongside of those two things was the financial challenges in the whole country. That's right. That was the year. That was the year. So the economy hit. So we felt the the economy and the financial challenge. And then we had those other two challenges. And I'm telling you, it literally just knocked us down. It knocked the wind out uh, out of the church. And we had people leaving for the first time instead of coming. Right. And for the first time, we experienced a plateau and then even a decline in the first time in, say, this first eight years of our church. Mm. And so, you know, initially my feelings were, you know what, man, we will we'll muscle through, we'll pray through, we'll hit the streets, we'll do what we always do, and uh, we'll, we'll get through this. But what was interesting was that uh, it didn't work. You know, we were trying the same things, but they weren't working. We were praying, but we just didn't sense where God was moving. And it just seemed like all of a sudden uh, the Lord allowed us uh, to get into a dry season where it just seemed like the well ran dry. And it, it, and it, it, it was almost as if God was saying, nothing that you do is going to work. Hmm. And one year turned into two, three, four, five years, you know, no growth, plateauing, declining. 
trying the same things but not seeing any results. And I'm telling you, after about five years, it, it, it really wore us out. It wore me and my wife out. It, it, it hurt us. It devastated us, what people had done now to us and what people were saying about us. I mean, it was just really tough. And uh, for the first time in my ministry, you know, I thought about maybe God's done with me. Maybe it's over with. Maybe I made some sort of a mistake or just missed God or, or, or maybe just the, the brook has run dry. Maybe it's time to go somewhere, but there's nowhere to go. And so all of a sudden you find yourself in that place where now your back's against the wall financially. Your back's against the wall because you can't create ministry momentum. And your back's really against the wall because you, don't, you, you can't even sense where God is moving. Right. I mean, that's the biggest tragedy is when I don't know where God is. I can't find, usually in the past I could see where there was a, a stirring in the mulberry bush, you know, go this way. Right. But we didn't sense that. And so really uh, to, to describe the, 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 the sense of discouragement, you know, I often say about my wife Candace, she has, her, her spiritual gift is talking. She loves to fellowship. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. she's the last one to leave the church. But even she became reclusive. I've referred to him here and there on our podcast, but whenever we had our toughest years in ministry, we were out on the East Coast and we followed up uh, just a, a real season of fruitfulness with a very barren thing for four mm. years, uh, you know, not, not just a tough stretch, but for years. And my wife's parents came out to visit us uh, on the East Coast for the first time. And we were showing them around the university where we were ministering. My wife only told me this recently. We were walking around the campus and I was ahead of her family, which is also a picture of me during that time. So in my own head, not knowing what was going on, you know. So I'm walking ahead of her family and she began to talk to her mom and say, Mom, will you pray for Lennon? Things have happened here and, and he's just not the same. Yeah, he, He's not the same guy. With, with Candace, talk about how she experienced that season with you. I guess that's a good way to describe it. She was just not herself. You know, she, you know, her natural ability to talk to people was just, uh, just not there. You know, she, she loves the ministry. I mean, this is a girl that grew up in the church and just felt like the church is her life. Yeah. You know, went to Southwestern to marry a pastor, you know, felt like that was her calling in life. And so when you talk about a true ministry partner, that's my wife. Yeah. And so to now feel as though distrustful of the people, mm -hmm. you know, to now feel uh, jaded and, and uh, hurt and discouraged and, and not have the energy that she always had. And she's the worship leader, so her role was just key. And, and to not have that, that joy. And uh, one, one interesting thing about my wife, and I'll give her the, the credit for it, when I would say things like, you know, maybe God's done with us. Maybe it's time to move on. She had the opposite thought. She said, no, it's time to dig in. we got to mm -hmm. dig in. So mm -hmm. that strength of growing up in the ministry that I didn't have yeah. began to come to the forefront. Incredible, powerful. She knew a little bit that, okay, this feels awful, but this is part of it. Exactly right. Her father pastored several churches. Uh, at one church, they had been voted out. And other churches didn't do so well. So she had experienced all of the ups and downs in ministry. And exactly what you just said, she, she knew this is just a part of the journey. And we've got to walk through it. And that was an awesome thing. It makes me think of, a, of the book of James where he talks about the hardships producing within us endurance. And, mm. and endurance being the ability to bear up under a load for a long period of time. So I've heard people say it's not the intensity. Sometimes it's the duration. That's it. And so as you guys were going through that duration, um, what, uh, obviously you didn't stay there. 
And so exactly. today we're, we're not just acknowledging, hey, hard times happen in ministry, but God is good and he can bring you through it. Um, what were signs of life? How did God begin to bring you through that? One day uh, we had a guest speaker, and he brought a word from, from John fifteen five. apart from me you can do nothing. And what was interesting about that message was was that someone earlier that week had sent me a card, in the, uh, just a card, a thank you card, and in that card, that was the verse in the card, apart from me you can do nothing, John fifteen five, And then just before the card had come, someone else had sent me a text with that verse on it. Mm. So when he brought that message, I knew God was speaking to me. And what God was saying to me, in essence, was, I want you to set aside some time with me because nothing's going to happen right now. Nothing's going to change. Nothing is apart from me. You're not going to be able to do anything. So you need to come and, and meet with me. And so it was. the Lord was just showing me right now, you are in a God-ordained season of, of barrenness. And it, I don't care what ministry you try, I don't care what uh, outreach you launch, nothing's going to happen because I'm not going to do it with you right now. So I just want you to be with me. And so I did. I, I just said, okay, I'm just going to set aside some time with the Lord. And, and I was reminded of the scripture that Paul talked about, you know, I'm fearful that you've departed from your simple devotion to Christ. And, I, and as I began to sit with God and spend time with God meditating on that, I began to realize that's what I had done. I'd gotten real deep into revival and praying for souls and, and ministry growth and all of these good things. But I was somehow drifting from that simple devotion that I had in, in, in the early days of my walk with Christ when I just was absolutely in love with Him. Mm. You know, just just absolutely insatiably hungry for the word and just for the Lord and just to win one soul to Christ or, or you know, you know, you can get so far into the ministry and the good things, yeah, but depart from those simple things. And so I just began to spend that time with God again and just, uh, just a simple devotion to Christ. Just got my Bible and my journal and my coffee and sit in my backyard and just love the Lord and, mm -hmm. and worship the Lord. And it was through that process that the Lord began to give me some revelations that I needed that, that put me back on the sort of the road to, you know, fresh wind and fresh fire. And, and one, of the, one of the things that God did was, was very interesting. He reminded me of a lesson that I learned at the very beginning of our church planting journey. In fact, it was a lesson that they taught us at the boot camp in Colorado that we went to. The first thing they taught us in Colorado was it, when you think in terms of your ministry and, what, and a vision for your ministry and, and the culture of your ministry, the first thing we want you to think about is who are you, who you are. Right. And at first I thought that was a strange thing. But then I began to realize that what they were saying was God is going to use you. Mm -hmm. If God has called you to that place, he's going to use you. He's going to use your gifts. He's going to use your weaknesses even to shore up with other people. And, but it's going to be you. you don't, don't, don't waste your time trying to emulate someone else. Spend your time discovering the gift that God has put in you. Like Paul said, stir it up. And as I thought about that and meditated on that and God drew my mind back to that thought, I began to realize I'm a soul winner. That's who I am. That's, that's what I am. And I began once again in that, in that discouraged, defeated season, I began to catch glimpses again of what I, the type of church that I want. I wanted it to be a, a church that transformed people's lives just like it did for me. And so I was able to begin now to tap into that, that those original sparks, that original passion, that original fire that God had put in me to see him transform families. And so that was sort of a beginning. 
And as time went on, that, that idea grew. It became like a revelation. You know, I thought about Peter. You know, you know at first his, he was called Simon. Jesus said, you're Simon, you know, a reed tossed by the wind. But then he said, I'm going to call you Peter. And upon this rock, I build my church. So when Jesus told Peter who he was, he went from being unstable and weak to being a powerful leader preaching the gospel to thousands. And I began to realize multiplication in ministry comes when we understand what God says about us. When you know who God says you are and you begin to work to become what God says you are, that's where multiplication comes from. Think about the Apostle Paul. He was called Saul. He knew God as the God of grace. I'm, I'm sorry, as the God of the law, right? Mm-hmm. Then he meets Christ on the road to Damascus, and he catches a fresh revelation of, of God as the God of grace. He becomes the Apostle Paul. When he tries to go and preach now to the Jews, they wanted to kill him. But when he shifts and goes to the Gentiles with this message of grace, guess what happens? Multiplication. And the Lord began to show me, Bob, the secret, the reason why you multiplied in the early days was because you were functioning in what I say about you. You were walking in what I say about you and who you really are. Not trying to be this person or that person or even selfish ambition, trying to get ahead of me and doing more than I want you to do. Yeah. Wow. But just staying in who I've called you to be and what I've called you to do. And so when I just begin to go back now to a simple devotion and back to who I was, and who God called me to be, and what he called me to do, that the results would be up to him. My goal was to strive just to be what he invested in me, and then get people around me that, uh, that shored up my weaknesses. All of a sudden, I began to see how, you know, sort of a new beginning. So to the degree that you can speak for your wife, which probably isn't very much, none of us want to try to speak for them too much, but what were some of the things for her? What did the Lord communicate to her during that time? Were they similar lessons, uh, or was there anything unique about what she needed from God during that season? You know, it's interesting because one of the things that my wife is really strong in is supporting me and asking God to help her to be just a just a tremendous partner, just a partner to walk alongside. I don't recall that she ever really wavered in, in anything. She never wavered about the church. She never wavered in her walk with God. She just said God is gonna is going to get us through this and, and her, her main focus seemed to be just supporting me. She knew I was hurting. Mm-hmm. She knew I was struggling. And uh, so her struggle really was my struggle. My struggle became her struggle. I don't even remember her really wrestling so much with being discouraged and and not being able to break out of discouragement. And it was almost as if her emotions and heart and joy was connected to mine. If I was doing well, then she was ready to go. And so my wife just has this just incredible resilience and good times and in bad times, she's, she's just ready to do whatever God wants her to do. So it's just incredible. That's powerful. So... Whenever we learn the lessons there are to learn, you speak of her being resilient. Has it made you more resilient? How does Bob Moya, is there anything different about how you handle tough times now? Well, that's for sure. One of the things that I love to do is learn. I love to learn, love to read, love to study. And so whenever I'm going through a tough time, that's sort of a default for me, a default mode is just to go back to studying and learning and reading. And, um, so that that's really what I what I focused on was the those those revelations that God gave me staying in the zone of the simple devotion mm-hmm. just me and the Lord mm-hmm. and getting back to you know the core of who I am and then beyond that just an insatiable hunger to learn mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and keep growing and, and keep moving and, and, and talking to people. And when you're, especially when you're discouraged and when you're, uh, you know, you, you feel as though things aren't working out, talking to people who've gone through that and just keep learning, you know, that's, yeah. that's the key. As you mentioned that, the picture that comes to mind is that I remember a few years ago, well, a lot of years ago now, Bob, but listening to a guy named Ray Vanderlyn uh, speak. Ray Vanderlyn has a just a massive degree of, of learning of Christianity mm. in the in the Jewish context, but he speaks in terms of living water, and he says what the Hebrew mind understood with living water is that living water was always moving water. It was that river. It, w- it was the, oh, yes. you know, it was stuff that was flowing. And at the point where you scoop the water out of the river into a cup, it's no longer living anymore. Wow. And so as you talk about continuing to grow and new things coming in, that really is important. Um, that not not only in terms of leadership and church dynamics, but just spiritually, that living water that needs to flow, it's always got to be coming through that's because great. just scooping it up and living off of yesterday's wow. will never be enough, will it? That's awesome. And that's really interesting and true. And that's something that I think that the Lord deposited in my heart during that time. You know, there are things that you may not be able to accomplish in the ministry right now, things that you want to do right now that you may not have the resources for, or the people for. Maybe the timing is not there, but we can always keep learning, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one area that we can focus in. And that, that, this is another thing that the Lord um, really challenged me with, and that is the, the area of focus. You know, what are, what are you focusing on? I'm not surprised by that because you mentioned that day. I could tell that you've really come to some convictions about habits that fuel godliness and work ethic. And so share some of that. Yeah. So this whole issue of focus, you know, during that time, I began to realize what I was focusing on and how important my focus was. Human nature and the the nature of pastors, you know, that I know is, you know, we focus on the five people that are giving us problems instead of the hundred people that are ready to go. That's right. And that keeps you in that stalemate, you know, that keeps you in that place of discouragement. And so the Lord began to really deal with me about my focus. What am I focusing on? What emotions am I focusing on? Not just uh, things outside of my control, but things that are inside of my control. If I'm focused and always on negative emotions, then I'm going to stay in that negative state. And so, uh, you know, I just began to to try to train myself and and changing my focus. What am I focusing on? You know, focusing on the fact that my kids were doing well, healthy and strong. My wife was supportive and ready to go. Uh, Family members in the church that were there with us and ready to rock and roll. It was just, you know, a shift in the focus. Mm. But then there was one thing that God really began to drill down in our lives, in my life, and it was something that I still work on today. And one of the things that the Lord began to speak to me about was the issue of diligence. Diligence. Uh... I mean, really, this idea of diligence became like another revelation for me Mm. uh, because what I realized was in in the seasons of discouragement and dryness, one of the things that happens is we just we we lose not only our ability to dream and to you know to be excited and joyful and all of that, but we if we're not careful, we stop being diligent in the things that we're supposed to be doing, regardless of the season. You know, we, we just lose our diligence. And if you study, you know, I like to read a lot. I, I read a lot of business books alongside of other books and, you know, theology books. If you study the business world, uh, business leaders, they work tirelessly. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, they work day and night for, for money or, or, you know, really temporal things. Nothing wrong with that. But what if we had that diligence in the church? Yeah. I watched a documentary about Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant, you know, he actually scored more points than Michael Jordan, and he only won one less ring. 
Mm -hmm. than Michael Jordan. And they asked him, you know, what was the secret, of course. And he said, well, when I first started out of high school and went into the NBA, I noticed that that our normal practice schedule was from 10 to 12 in the morning, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. lunch. Everybody would take a break, go and ice their body, try to recover because we had another practice from 6 to 8. But he said, you know what? I decided what would happen if I got up at 4 o'clock and got to the gym by 5 and practiced from 5 to 7 and then went home and ate breakfast and and tried to heal up to be back for the 10 o'clock practice, then went home and tried to heal up and go back to the gym at 3 o'clock and practice another two hours, and then go home again and be ready for the 7 o'clock practice. And he said, I I determined I was going to do that. And he said, I determined I was going to do it for five years because if I did it for five years, I would be so far ahead of everyone else that even if they determined they were going to practice hardcore before a game against me, they would never catch me. Wow. Yeah. And I started thinking about things like that. And I started thinking, what if we had that diligence in the ministry? Diligence is something that we don't think about in the ministry. And without realizing it, you know, what what us pastors call busyness mm-hmm. is really, we're really not busy. Yeah. We're wasting time. We, we haven't defined what's important, what really works. We haven't dug deeply enough into our ministry like guys do in the business world. Right. And measure what matters hmm. and, and become, become radically diligent in the things that God has called us to do. I mean, what if we just determined that we were going to work harder than, than the guys in the business world for the kingdom of God? Right. You know, and, and so this idea just, uh, I guess it just pushed me back over the edge, man, just brought my fire back. That's powerful. You know, you mentioned this dynamic of showing up. One of the things, uh, it, it is, this isn't what the podcast is about, but it, it is important, I think, for our for our staff and for our congregation to see that to a degree. I remember when I first started in ministry, mm-hmm. and so I was just vocationally beginning. Yes. And I had a I had a, a man in our church tell me one day. He said, "Hey, I've noticed something. I just wanted to tell you." And I'm thinking, "Okay, what is it?" He said, "Whenever I drive by here on my way to work in the mornings, I see you parked. I see that you're here. Yes. And I uh, I just wanted you to know, thank you." Wow. But I can see that. I can see getting easily getting sidetracked, getting lax and, and that losing that diligence and chipping away sure. at kingdom stuff every single day. Yeah. That's powerful, Bob. Yeah, especially when you're discouraged, you know. And we don't realize that uh, oftentimes we may not realize that so many things are connected in the church to the issue of diligence. You know, there's right. a scripture in Proverbs 13. It says, a sluggard's appetite is never filled. Mm-hmm. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. So, you know, we think in terms, I want my church to grow. I want to see souls being won. I want to see ministries growing and being developed and new leaders coming in. But the Bible says that that can be your desire. But if you're a sluggard, it will never be filled. Right. Right. You got to work as much as you want. That's it. Wow. But the, the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Yeah. So, you know, we can, we can get really spiritual. We can be on the mountaintop praying, but then we have to go into the valley and put in the work. Yeah. It makes, there's another proverb, you know, it says, um, a hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Mm. And what the one you just said shows the difference between hope and longing can be to a degree up to us. Like we have to participate. Exactly. <laughs> we have exactly. to show up and to work. Well, that's exactly. powerful, Bob. Well, I've got two more questions for you. Um, what do you love most about this season of ministry you're in at City Chapel? What's, 
What do you enjoy in right Absolutely. now? Absolutely. Well, first of all, there's a couple of things. Number one, I'm 51 years old now. And one of the things I love at this stage in the ministry is, you know, giving myself permission to just be myself. Mm-hmm. That's a great, uh, a great feeling. Uh, you know, you sort of work through a lot of things in the, in, in the younger days or the beginning days. And, and finally, you come to a place where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to do what I know God has asked me to do. Uh, some it's not for everybody. Some people are going to come and go. I'm not, you know, their style of minister or their flavor or whatever. But I'm going to do and be myself, and that's liberating. And the next thing that I really love about my stage of ministry now is the is the ability to uh, work with the next generation, the younger the younger people. And I love working with the college students and college and career young adults, mm-hmm. and just sitting down with these guys and really trying to pass on, you know, really that fire that God has put in my heart and that passion. So uh, just being myself and really have something to pass on to the next the next generation is really important to me. So you said you're 51. I don't know how many more years you plan to have in the everyday vocational ministry, but yes. whenever you talk with the Lord about your second half, what do you hope you're able to say about what the second half of ministry was like for Bob Moya? You know, Tony Evans talked about something in a book that he wrote about, uh, about you know, our purpose and our, and our calling. And he talked about the way we discover our purpose is when we take our giftings and our abilities that God has given us, and they intersect with the kingdom agenda of God. Mm-hmm. And that intersection is where is, is the sweet spot. For whatever time I have left, I hope that, that God will say, you, you, you stayed in the sweet spot. Mm. You, you got your gifts and your abilities. You buy, by, the, you know, by your 50s, you, t- you should kind of know what they are. Yeah. You know, you should have a good idea. This is generally where I'm strong and where I'm anointed and where God uses me the most, and I can have the greatest impact. And I want to marry that with the kingdom agenda, the kingdom of God, advancing his kingdom. The Bible says in Revelation, and the kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so we yeah. are working for that to that end, that God's kingdom will take over every kingdom on earth, the education kingdom, the business world, the, the, the media world. We should, as believers, we should be advancing the kingdom in every uh, every uh, area of society. And I want God to say, you know what, you used your gifts to that end, to, to the best of your ability. And, uh, you know, that's, that's my dream. Wow. Well, you know what? Here's how I think I'd like to like to end. Um, I think listening right now, there are pastors in all different stages, some on mountaintops, some in valleys, sure. some plateaued. Yes. <laughs> you know, some who are stuck. Um, why don't you just close us out by by praying for us? Absolutely. Praying for uh, ministers listening and uh, anything you feel is on your heart for them. Father, first of all, what a blessing and privilege it is to work for the glory and the kingdom of God. What an honor it is, Father, to partner together for the advancement of your kingdom and your glory. And my, my prayer, Father, today is that we you would give us a fresh revelation of the importance of your kingdom. Father, we are at war right here in our own country. This is not a time to, to be uh, on the sidelines. We need everybody to get in the fight, everyone to suit up. And Father, as we think about that, we think about those seasons of discouragement and, and the seasons of being so distracted because of the pain that we go through. And Father, I just pray that you would begin now to infuse fresh wind and fresh fire in the ministers in our district, God. Just begin to lift us up now. Help us to put our uniform back on. Help us to get clear in our marching orders, Father, and just uh, give us a fresh 
anointing for the war that's going on, the war over kingdom issues, the war over kingdom values in our country. Father, we need strong churches. We need strong families and leaders. And Father, we know that comes uh, not from within ourselves, but it comes when we are totally uh, surrendered to you and, and spending time with you and drinking deep of your word and your spirit. So I just pray that we'd be able to do that together. I thank you for the strong leadership in our district that's just calling us to that uh, devotion to Christ and the dependence upon the spirit. So Father, thank you for the, for the privilege of working in your vineyard. Give us fresh wind and fresh fire. In Jesus' name, amen.